a lot of times it's easy for us, you know, Thanksgiving and this time of the year, it's easy for us to go, I'm thankful for my car, I'm thankful for my house, I'm thankful for my family. Um, but you can go a layer deeper than that, and you can go thanks to the giver of those things. And so you can be like, oh, I'm so thankful for my job and my degree. Um, but behind that, there was a teacher who poured into your life and invested into you, or um, a boss maybe who raised you up when you were a little young person and didn't know what you were doing. And there's always a layer behind um, kind of what we see in the first. So it's easy to say, thanks for my car, thanks for my house, but thanks to God, the giver of those things. And so this month, we're going to take a look at like, hey, what are the things we're thankful for, but who also stood behind those things and helped you sort of get there? And I think if we can live in a way that we're also thankful for the giver, it helps us not be stuck on the blessing, but it helps us keep our eyes on the blesser. Amen? And so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving and, and just that mindset of gratitude. But really, the next two weeks, I want you to make an effort to try to be here because I know you, you sit here and you go, oh, Thanksgiving, I've heard this sermon a million times, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the next two weeks, I'm going to spend talking about peace. And I know probably for a lot of us, you know, you start thinking about the holidays, and I just even think about the, the mission. You know, we're going to go to the mission, and we're going we're gonna to serve, and we're going to connect, and we're going to share a table with um, about 1,400 meals are going to be given away over that time of people who don't have a place to take for granted. Like, really? And, and so when you sit here and you think about, okay, Thanksgiving, I'm going to get that same message, whatever. The next two weeks, I want to take a look at it differently. And there's a huge connection in Scripture between peace and, and being thankful. Uh, the scriptures that we're going to play with are um, talking about the lines of when you're, when you're thankful, it opens the door for peace in your life. So if you're, if you're heading into the holidays, and for you, that means uh, family and memories and like just some things that you may lose your peace over, I want you to be here the next couple of weeks and just hear how we talk about peace and being thankful and, and what it can actually do for you because the scripture is full of teachings on peace. Jesus was so serious about peace that he told his disciples, go into a home and, and basically speak peace over it. And if they reject it, he told them to leave because an atmosphere of peace is a big deal. And um, there's blessing in peace. And so the next couple of weeks, I want you to kind of hear that. Um, but today, we're going to talk, um, again, this is a topic that I think a lot of us go like, okay, another Thanksgiving sermon or whatever, and we, we, we kind of see it as predictable. But remember in Scripture, uh, very often they would start a writing or a teaching, and they would say, hey, don't be arrogant or don't be, uh, hot, you know, don't be... Um, don't be arrogant, or let me remind you of this, or they would continually bring up things that people already knew. Why? Because what we always say, the largest gap in the world is between what we know to do and what we actually do. Uh, there's a difference between knowing something and actually doing it. So it's like, oh, I know I need to be grateful. I know I need to be thankful. Uh, but how many of us put that in place every single day? And so for me, here I have developed these sermons on being thankful Okay, and, uh, and so I'm like, oh, I got it. I mean, I got sermons on being thankful. Like, I know how to be thankful. And yesterday, uh, I'm a sports fan, and so uh, my team being Michigan Wolverines, uh, but then also having some interest, I guess, for Michigan State only because I hate Ohio State. But here's my scenario. I have a sermon prepped and ready to go for uh, Thanksgiving and being thankful and telling people about gratitude and appreciating where you're at. So here I am yesterday, kind of have the day off, only had a few things to do in the day, uh, but, but have the day off. And uh, my wife is wonderful, and she lets me watch my Michigan games um, kind of in peace because um, 
I get all upset about it, you know, so like, oh, Michigan's terrible, and so I'm not really in peace, but she leaves me alone, I guess is what she does, so <laughs> she lets me do that by myself, um, just me and my dog, and then I got something to kick, I got something to kick and something to, no, I'm just kidding, I would never kick my dog, he's my best friend, and you're like, what about your wife? She knows, he's my best friend. Uh, <laughs> you laugh, and you think I'm kidding, but if you know me, that's so true. <laughs> now you're like, oh, that's sad, it's so sad, <laughs> whatever, you guys. You're so serious in church. Um, so here's the deal. So yesterday, uh, my wife loves me, and so she's like, hey, let's order some pizza. You can watch your game. She's talking love languages, pizza and football already. Like, she's there, okay? Uh, sorry, Eli. But um, Eli, Eli's our gym guy, and I'm going to pay for that tomorrow. But uh, it was vegetable pizza. Don't even worry about it. It was lettuce and things all wrapped up like a pizza. And... Um, <laughs> So she's like, hey, get the pizza, and then we'll get pizza, and you can watch your game. And, um, and my brother was also not working, and so a lot of times when we watch the games, we'll do, uh, you know, we'll just get talking and catch up because, you know, brothers, they don't call each other to talk about deep things. They call each other to talk about football, and so that's when we talk is when sports is on. So, so I'm sitting here, and the Michigan Wolverines are doing terrible, and, uh, but I have it great. It's, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm blessed. I, I, I'm on my iPad, and I have my iPhone. I have all these blessings. I'm, like, texting, interacting with my brother, and, uh, and, the, and the Michigan game is on, which, you know, is, like, on cable TV, and I'm watching it on a flat screen, and I'm, like, drowning in blessings, right? Yeah. Right? Drowning in these blessings. And, uh, and, so, and so pizza and, and, uh, and watching the game and talking to my brother and Jess is with her mom. They're upstairs. They're making cookies. Caroline's playing back and forth with grandma, like drowning in blessings. You hear where I'm at, right? And so for me, of course, Michigan is doing terrible. They only, they won, but like 10, which is more to say than some other Michigan teams, but they won. Uh, They won 10 to nine and it was awful and it was ugly. And I just remember stopping in my conversation with my brother and whatever, and we're mad about the coach, and we're sending each other links about the new coach we want, and I'm eventually in a bad mood, and I'm like, I hate pizza, and like, I'm just like, you know, like, I don't even know why I have a dog, you're not my best friend, you know, like, and I'm just, and I'm just sitting here thinking, this is so ridiculous that, like, sports did this, you know, to me, and obviously everybody's like, oh, I don't watch sports or whatever, but like, what was I doing? I was sitting there and I was saying, I was letting my happiness be determined by if we get that win or if we just played better or if we just did this, then I would be content. So literally like days in my life, like hours of my life, I threw away just because like, oh, I let myself get not content in these things. Now listen, am I going to get mad again? Am I going to be uncontent in sports again? Yes. It's just part of what we do. And uh, all you women are like, see, that's why sports are bad. But have you ever gone to the store and, and tried to get the sale and everything was out? Well, and you get mad, right? Like, you, same thing. So it's just a different way. But I'm sitting here just thinking about this sermon and thinking about everything. I'm thinking, man, isn't it interesting how we live with such a destination disease that if I only get to that, then I'll be happy instead of all the blessings that we drowned in every single day. If I only get to that, then I'll be happy. If we can just get to this, then I'll be thankful. If we just get to this, then I'll be thankful and I'll appreciate it. We have everything. We were at a concert a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the opening act, Warren Barfield, he said, uh, we've gone beyond blessed. We're spoiled. We're like, oh, I'm so blessed. No, we're all so spoiled. We're so spoiled. And so as easy it is to go, oh, I know I'm supposed to be thankful, and this is Thanksgiving. I know I'm supposed to. 
look how easy it is to get away from that. And uh, so I just want to play with that over the next couple thoughts here and look at scripture. Um, you have everything you need right now to be content. Like you have everything you need right now to be content. And you say, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Have you ever met someone who has cancer and is content? I have. Have you ever gone to a funeral and you're like, how, how are they so full of joy? Because it's possible for you to have everything that you need right now to be content because you have God, because you have access to a heavenly father uh, who, who can give you that. Amen? We always go, if I just get the pay raise, if my husband acted a little more like this, if my wife a little more like this, if, if the house, if the kids, if this, 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 and this, then we'll arrive to happiness. But it's not true. You have everything you need right now to be content and be thankful. You have everything that you need. And uh, I thought about um, this guy, Warren Barfield, was talking about, and I don't know, this is where it becomes redundant and we hear the same thing, but it's good for us to hear different angles of it. This guy was talking about how he was on a mission trip and they were up in a mountain in this crazy place. And he was with this little boy who had to go get water. And it was like over an hour hike down this stony, crazy mountain. And they were all talking about how this guy would fall off the mountain because it's a dangerous mountain and he didn't know what he was doing. But here's this little kid who had to go down to this stream to get water. And all these other adults were there and he had to fight to get to the water because the water only ran at a certain time of the day or whatever. So you had to get it while it was there. So here's this little kid down there fighting for water. And so Warren was just blown away at how far this guy had to go to get this water, this kid to get the water. And then when he got there, he got five gallons of it. The kid finally, Warren helped him uh, get five gallons of this water. And he had to drag it back up this mountain for, you know, like an hour. And he's just this little kid. And if think about it, you know, a gallon is like a milk jug. And this little guy had like five of them that he had to drag for over an hour. You know, that's like a, that's a ton of work just to get your water. And then Warren, when he got home, he realized, um, one flush of your toilet does more than those five gallons. So one flush that we just take for granted, that we just, oh, no big deal. Warren was thinking about all that this guy had to do to go get clean drinking water. You know, go all the way down to this thing. And when he got home, he counted all the places that he gets clean drinking water. And he said it was like 17 places. We have outdoor faucets for our hoses. And then the refrigerator does water and the sink does water and the toilets do water and the bathtubs do water. And our guests and all these, and we have double sinks. We have all this stuff. We have what, like 17 places of water. And this little guy had to go. And so just this perspective of we're so beyond blessed, we're spoiled. And so this holiday season, when you're, oh, I want this. If I had this, if I would only be content, we need to stop and be like, I can flush the toilet one time and be better off than this little kid who really lives that way every day. It's incredible. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.1 begins to talk about like this pursuit that ends up empty. Like if we don't live thankful, there's just this emptiness. Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, And then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was in vain, grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun." How many of you have ever had that sense where you just work and you work and you go and you go and you finally sit down and you go, for what? Like, what did I do? What did I gain? What did I? Because we're always chasing that next thing. We're always chasing that next thing. And at the end of the day, when you sit down, you almost are just as dissatisfied. Um, we're moving in a couple of days or weeks, like I said. And um, so we're kind of packing up some things already and, you know, putting stuff together. And it's so funny when you move even a year later from when we moved, or a year and a half later, 
It's so funny, what we had to have a year and a half ago, we're not even sure if it's going to make the trip now, a year and a half later. But we had to have it. We had to go. Like the scripture saying, we toiled and we worked and we had to get and we had to gain and we had to buy. And, we had to... and then later, it's like, eh, I don't even know if it's worth it for me anymore. It feels like it's just an incredible way that I think the enemy has tricked us into being so eye-driven. You know, every, I have iPads and iPods and all that kind of stuff. But literally, that generation or that idea of everything is custom to me, I, me, I, this, I, that, and that's okay. I mean, there's stuff that... But at the end of the day, if that becomes who we are, what I can get, what I can gain, what I can chase, we're going to miss how God created us to live by a mile. Amen? Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11 says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning. Somebody say amen. That's just there for you. <laughs> right there. You don't even have to get up in the morning. You know, like anybody like to sleep in? Are you with me? Yeah, I'm like a go to bed at 1.30 and then not so much early, get up early. But... Um, so that's not the rest of the scripture, but I was trying to find a case to, uh, my former pastor used to say, Josh, you need to get up early in the morning and pray. You need to do that. You need to get up early and be praying. And I was like, well, pastor, I actually pray before I go to bed and that's like one in the morning. So I beat you. Sorry. <laughs> like, but uh, so Isaiah 5.11 says, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink, who continue until night till wine inflames them. Verse 12 the harp and the strings, the tambourine and the flute, and the wine and their feast, but they do not regard the work of the Lord nor consider the operation of his hand. Okay, take the drinking part out of this. Woe to anybody who wakes up early and chases stuff that doesn't matter. The tambourine, the drink, it's just talking about all this useless activity. Woe to that person who gets up and makes all the Facebook drama and all the things of the world and all of the... Woe to those who wake up and make that a big part of their deal because at the end of the day, what? They don't consider the work of the Lord or the operation of his hands. Now, again, I'm not against Facebook. I'm not against sports. I'm not against any of that kind of stuff. But if we do that, basically what the scripture is saying, woe to the person who gets up and is just so busy and so consumed by more and more and wasting and wasteful and all this party and lavishing, all this kind of, woe to that person who lives that way instead of living in a way that they consider God and being thankful for what God has done in their life. Amen? It says they do not regard his work or the operation of his hands. You could say it like this. They don't regard or they don't think of the Lord, and they also don't give thanks to him. They don't consider the operation of his hands or the things that he's done in their life. So the people that get up and go, go, and hustle and bustle and all these kinds of things that we fill our lives with, if we don't stop and consider what God would have us do, but then also stop and consider, hey, look at what God has done. Look what his hands have done in my life. Then woe to us. Amen? Philippians 4.11 says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so the wrap-up on this scripture is, listen, whether you have much or whether you have little or whether you feel like you don't have enough or you're trying to get, if you can wrap it up in, hey, it's Christ who gives me strength, it's God who gives me what I need, you won't chase as much as you chase. Somebody say amen. So the problem with our busyness in, in that lifestyle is our happiness is based on things. It's based on things. Like, 
Instead of Christ who gives us strength or instead of trusting in God, we trust in the things that we gain. And it doesn't matter who you are, things fail you. They all are corruptible. They're all falling apart. They're all, so when we put all our trust and faith in pursuing, if I just get this, this is where I'll be happy, you have to know you've signed up for something that's expiring and, it, and it'll fail you at some point. Amen? But it's God that gives us the strength. Uh, I thought about it like this. Psalm 119, uh, 171 says, May my lips overflow with praise for you teach me your decree. For you teach me your decree. May my lips overflow with praise or thanksgiving. So saying, I want to live in a way that I'm overflowing with thanksgiving for you teach me your decree. What's interesting about the teaching aspect, especially in this writer's life, is some of those teaching moments weren't great moments. Sometimes teaching is hard. Sometimes teaching is instructing. And, uh, and sometimes it's a thing. But he's saying, even while I'm being taught your decree and your ways and your things, even while in that, I'm going to live in a way that I'm overflowing with thanksgiving. Check this out. 82% of homes have video games, American homes. 82% of homes have video games. 86% of homes have some type of computer or computer device, whether your iPad, whatever like that. 98% of homes have their own audio device, so CD player, iPod, all that kind of stuff. Uh, our government will literally issue you a cell phone. Like, we're so spoiled in America that literally you can qualify for a cell phone. I'm not going down the political thing, but literally, like, we're so, it's like, oh, oh, you need a cell phone? We're like, we, we got lots of those here, here, here. We're so spoiled and so blessed uh, that, like, you look at these numbers of all the things that we have. The average woman, and uh, brace yourselves, women, the average woman has eight pairs of jeans. Right now you're doing your math like, oh. I'm not talking about wearable ones. I'm talking about like, you know, you got layers to your jeans. You know, I do too. Uh, but you got like some work jeans. You got some, but like the average American has eight pairs of jeans with the average price range of a pair of jeans at $45 a piece. Uh, now I'm not saying, oh, look at us versus the rest of the world. But for $45 for your jeans budget, literally somebody in another country could live off your jeans budget. Like if we took everybody's gene budget in America and we fed the, 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 the poor overseas, we could almost end world hunger with our gene budget. The actual statistic is this. The amount of money that Americans spend on ice cream is the amount of money that it would take to end world hunger. That's a true statistic. Ice cream. Okay? And so we're, we're so blessed. In 2001, 32 million American teenagers spent a combined $171 billion. In 2001, they estimated that a teenager spent $104 a week, uh, whether it would be uh, just you know clothing, gas, food, all those kinds of things. Uh, and the reason they bring that statistic up is because this consumerism that is happening they look at this young generation and they're, they've spent, they're spending more than any other generation. They're saving less than any other generation. This idea of get it and burn it and, and use it up uh, is a very bad statistic. Why is that? Why is that generation that way? Because marketing of America sells you this. If you do not have this, you won't be happy. And you're like, oh, I don't know about that. Listen, go home, watch your football game, watch the Christmas commercials, they're all going to say this, this holiday season, unless you have this, you won't be happy and your holidays will be awful. 
you watch. Their marketing angle is like, unless you have this, you won't be happy and content in life. You'll be a nobody unless you, the, even the jewelry, every kiss begins with K or whatever. So however it goes, I don't know. Uh, maybe it was Jared, I don't know. But it's like this. They show like it's snowing and they love each other. This relationship begin, to begin with K. No, it didn't. It started not with consumerism and selfishness and getting a pair of earrings. It started with like interaction and authentic love and like caring for each other. Somebody say amen. But our marketing has sold us like, hey, if you don't have this, there's no way you'll be happy. Everything makes you happy. If, if, if you get this, you're buying happiness. So the way that we do the car commercials, all this kind of stuff. You even look at the way like a beer commercial will run. If you drink this beer, you'll have the best life ever till the next morning, you know, like our thing is about like, if you get this, you'll be happy. And so consumers, they're just chasing that, chasing that, chasing that. The, the statistic says that you'll hear in a day about 6,000 marketing messages a day. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Just drive out of here and look at how many things speak to you. Our vertical flags will be speaking to you. Your radio will be on at the same time. You'll see billboards. You'll see all of these things are shouting a logo or something to you. And so in a course of a day, they say you'll see about 6,000 uh, marketing messages a day. Uh, it's just an absolutely incredible thing that we have to keep up with. Uh, happiness is not found in keeping up. And acceptance is not found in keeping up. I think that's one myth we really need to tear down is like keeping up with the Joneses or getting to the next thing is not what's going to keep you happy. Uh, we upgraded our phones. Uh, we were eligible and they did a thing where they basically took our old ones and we only had to pay tax for new ones. And it's funny that even the plans there that they're trying to sell you is like this. Hey, you got to get on this new plan. Why do I got to get on this new plan? Oh, because you can get early upgrades. And I'm like, no, we, we make it to the two-year upgrade every year. Like, it's not a big deal for us. And they were like, really? You can wait two years to get the next phone. Yeah, I can. <laughs> because it's like that consumer-driven is just ridiculous. Um, Psalm, actually, let's go to this. Romans 121 says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Neither were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts darkened. Listen to this thought, though. It says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him. Neither were they thankful. So they didn't give glory to God and they weren't thankful, but they became futile. Or one other thing says they became, uh, a translation of it says they were having no useful results in their thoughts. So, instead of, and so it says in their life, they, came in, they thought in a way that they had no useful results. Why? Because all they were doing was consuming, 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 and their foolish hearts darkened. Because they didn't glorify God and because they weren't thankful, their thoughts became useless. Just consumer, consumer, me, me, me. Psalm 136.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. How can we be thankful? What makes us want to be thankful? What makes it like, is this, that God is good, and his mercy is there for you forever. So on the days where you're like, oh, I just, I don't, you know, and, and you find yourself not thankful and beat up and frustrated and all this kind of stuff, remind yourself that, guess what? Even though it doesn't feel like it in this season, God is good and his mercy is available to you forever. Somebody say amen. They pulled people uh, down in, uh, 
Times Square, whatever, uh, where the big Macy's Day Thanksgiving thing is. In 2003, they polled people uh, for what they were thankful about. In the top seven things that came in, number one, people said they were thankful for family. The second thing, uh, they said they were thankful for their health. Number three was freedom. Uh, number four was jobs. Number five was friends. Six was their home. And last place, barely making the top seven, people said they were thankful for their faith or for Jesus or God in their life, their religion, um, coming in last. But the scripture says it's God who gives us the, abil uh, the ability to what? Produce wealth or to get all these other things, health, freedom, jobs, friends, homes. Uh, it's just so out of order uh, where we put God. Amen. Won't you stand with me? I'll read you a couple more things before we leave. Second Timothy 3.1 says this. We won't have it on the screen because it's long, but I want to read you this. It says, but know this, in the last days, reckless times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than God. So there's a whole bunch of ugly things in there, really ugly words. But in the middle of it, one that is right up there with all the ugly is it says unthankful. It says unthankful. And so I, it makes me understand that about God, unthankfulness is a really ugly word to God. Living in a way that we're unthankful for each other, we're unthankful for what God is doing in our lives and in others' lives and all that he's blessed us with, that's an ugly word. That's an ugly way to live. And my prayer is as we leave here and as we continue to talk about thanks for giving and what God is doing in our lives, that we, just like me yesterday, we catch ourselves going, hey, like, you know, I can't be unthankful. Unthankful is a really ugly word that I don't want to have be a part of my life. Amen? Remind ourselves of Philippians 4.11. It says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed, whether living in plenty or in want. The secret is that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. It's not... Happiness is not found in the next phone upgrade or the next kitchen remodel or the next winning season or the next big hunt or the next raise or the next whatever we chase after. Being content and being uh, thankful and living in peace, like we'll talk about the next couple weeks, comes when we trust God that he's taking care of you and you have all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen? We read in... Uh, we read in 1 Timothy 6.17, and it closed with this, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. I think one way that we stay thankful and helps us stay in perspective is when we're looking at how we can be generous, generous with our time, generous with our words, generous with encouragement, when we're generous towards one another. When you take your place of thankfulness, and you say, because I'm thankful, I want to let others know and other things know that I'm thankful for them. I think it just breeds that culture of generosity and more than money. We're talking about more than money and generosity. I think it's the best way to live. Amen? Let's pray, and then uh, we'll dismiss. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your words this morning. We thank you that we don't want to be people 
who carry unthankfulness. We don't want to be people who are greedy and caught in consumerism and getting to the next thing. We want to be able to identify that we're so blessed. We've moved beyond blessed. We're spoiled. That every day we drowned in your blessing. Soften our hearts, Lord. Give us the understanding that whether we have much or whether we're in need, it's you who gives us the ability to do all things through your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.